What's going on, guys? We are back with the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. We have a nice little host of topics for you today. But with me, as always, a man who excites me as much as the Bundesliga finale did this season. It's Billy. Goodness gracious, mate. I like that. I enjoyed that. When you said <laughs> it was raunchy, I didn't know what to expect. But I'd, I, thought, I thought I'd give you a little bit of mystery. Anyways. <laughs> the key to a good relationship, people. Exactly. But like Lewis said, it is the Bundesliga finale episode. So we're going to take a look at the most exciting title race in years. Multiple shocks on the last match day. We'll also have a look at the relegation battle with Hamburg thinking they were promoted. Bochum by the skin of their teeth staying up and Schalke and Hertha relegated down. And we'll also give you our team of the season. But before we do that, we'll start with some things you may have missed. Lionel Messi has decided to reject Saudi Arabian money and is going to join David Beckham's into Miami. And I think you've got something about the ticket prices there, Lewis. Yeah. So the cheapest ticket that you could get at Inter Miami pre-Messi signing, 29 US dollars. Now it has risen to 467 US dollars. And that's the cheapest ticket you can get. And I don't know if you've seen Inter Miami's ground. But it basically isn't one. It's got holes at every corner. And even Inter Miami's goalkeeper has said, oh, yeah, uh, I don't think this club is prepared for Messi's arrival because our ground basically has security breaches all over. I don't know how they're going to contain people. Also, another little slut for stats moment here on AT Sports. The Instagram followers of PSG have taken a 1.8 million hit going down from 70 million followers to 67, or no, sorry, 68.2. I can do maths. Um, funnily enough, Inter-Miami has gone up from about a million to 5.5. So the messy effect being spread around, it's all well and good in Miami, put it that way. Despite being 15th out of 15 in their conference, all is good at Inter-Miami. We were six days away from Phil Neville coaching Lionel oh, Messi. Imagine the scenes. But Philip got the sack. The next thing you may have missed is that Paolo Maldini has left, has been sacked, has stepped down from his role at AC Milan. Make of that what you will. But the uh, the stat that I want to bring is for the first time since 1978, obviously Cesare doesn't play anymore, Paolo's left and Daniel Maldini is on loan at Spezia. There is no Maldini at AC Milan for the first time since 1978. That's unreal. And I think it just goes to show again that American billionaires just don't have a clue when it comes to the game of football. You don't kick out the legend. I'm not saying a legend. Maldini is the legend of AC Milan. There's no denying it. And you don't just kick out the guy who was playing for the first team from 1985 to 2009 and was captain for almost three quarters of the time he was playing for the first team. Well, do you remember that billboard? What's the easiest job in the world? Being Italy's a goalkeeper. goalkeeper. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was AC Milan's goalkeeper. No, it's Italy's goalkeeper. It was. Uh... I love those billboards. Those yeah. billboards are amazing. Well, from AC Milan to Inter Milan, and you've got a quote there from Robin Gossens uh, about playing in the Champions League final. Well, I mean... Think about a Cinderella story. The guy also had one of those almost Jamie Vardy-esque rises to professional football. Um, and, you know, he was quoted as saying, I used to get a group of my mates together to always watch the final, throw some steaks on the grill and have a few beers. Now I've gotten all those mates a ticket. They're all headed to Istanbul and I'm on the pitch. Unreal. It, it just is a story where, you, where you're like, uh, only football can give you stories like that. Well, at the time of recording, we don't know how that final went, but uh, fingers crossed for Inter Milan. Oh, just, just don't have the red devil glasses on, don't do you, Bill? You just no, of course not. No, nah, no bias, no bias whatsoever. I'm a, I'm a, I'm an Inzaghi uh, fanboy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's things you may have missed, but now let's take a dive into the Bundesliga team of the season. Now, our Premier League one had some rogue choices in it. Uh, 
mainly from my good self that you you fought me on tooth and nail although this one seems a lot more we've agreed on a lot more players in this one and why you're the goalkeeper out of the two of us so why don't you take us away and tell us who the goalkeeper is in our team of the season well you say we had some road choices in the in the premier league one i'd say this is almost as rogue a choice but you know if we're being honest we both sat there and tried to figure out who we should put in and at the end of the day it was a pretty tough choice because if you take a look at all the goalkeepers in the top three Grigor Kobe missed a bunch of time due to injury everyone remembers that slapstick moment where he comes out to clear the ball against Bayern and just completely whiffs it he had he had some good games yes but overall you know with the amount of time he spent on injured also a hard case to make Jan Zoma, as you said great first half of the season and then you know he was kind of pulled down with the circus freak show at Bayern as many players were so he's kind of out you would think Peter Gulashi but he had an ACL tear you know within the first three weeks of the season so he was done and Blaswich solid I'd say but not amazing Kevin Trapp more so but still also you know I'd only say solid so we have gone after a lot of waffling with Bochum's goalkeeper Manuel Riemann because this guy pulled off save after save when his team for the most of the season were fighting relegation I don't know if you remember the game against Borussia Dortmund you know a couple of weeks before the end of the season um because I think it was so overshadowed by that crazy VAR decision um but there was a reason that Dortmund didn't score and that was Manuel Riemann and again you know in the last games he just came up big with big saves big stops a goalkeeper that keeps his team in the Bundesliga and did so for the whole season deserves it well that's the thing if you're fighting relegation you need to keep her to pull off some clutch saves yeah. and he did consistently and repeatedly for for Bochum not necessarily in games that they won but in games that they managed to get draws from and like I said the Dortmund one was ridiculous as much as some people will call me you know a stat man for saying so goal difference in a relegation battle can make all the difference and even in the losses that Bochum sometimes did get I say sometimes more often than not did have to concede he stopped them from you know conceding six or seven and kept their goal difference down to a bare minimum or as as bare minimum as you can get in that position obviously so for me more deserved than any other goalkeeper yeah i can't argue with that i think well, they had a better different goal difference than schalke so they weren't the worst in the league exactly and you know there's a lot of work to do at Buckham, but it wouldn't surprise me if they went on and sort of grew and didn't go yeah you know, i wasn't in a relegation scrap last season yeah yeah uh, next season sorry not last season <laughs> so that's the goalkeeper i think at right back i think my pick is the dutchman jeremy frimpong hard to argue i mean the guy was consistent as ever and there's a reason a lot of big Premier League teams are considering a move for the guy. I mean, yeah, he also did spend a considerable amount of time in in, in the youth setup in England, so he kind of also has that, you know, that connection to the UK um, and the Premier League. So it wouldn't surprise me. I think even Manchester United have been quoted as showing interest in the Dutchman. Yeah, same City youth team as Jaden Sancho and Phil Foden before he moved to Celtic. Yeah. So, I think there was uh, a lot of questions when Leverkusen signed him from Celtic. Yeah. But I think that move paved the way for when Union Berlin signed Josip Juranovic. There you there go. There wasn't any eyebrows raised. 341 tackles won, 18 aerial duels. But the one that sticks out for me, uh, for a right back, seven assists and eight goals. That's better than some wingers in the Bundesliga this season. Or a good amount of wingers, to be fair. <laughs> it's better than James Sancho in the Premier League, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of his uh, City teammates, yeah. Although Sancho had more goals than Jack Grealish this season, so I will not hear it. But for a fullback to have eight goals 
And they're not the same goal. There's a variety of goals in that. Yeah, he carried my kick base team once I signed him. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> you, you know, we already said it in our previous episode. We will be going through that kick base league. I don't, I don't want, it's, it's not a fantasy team. It's like a football stock exchange. Yeah, it's great. Thing. It's great. Like, it's a next way, season. It, it requires way more skill to be good in kick. No, it doesn't. It requires remembering to go on the app and do it. Next season, we're using the Bundesliga's official one. I'm not going back to kick base. I'm throwing my toys out of the pram. So that's all right. Back, that Jeremy Frimpong, and we'll cover kick base later on. I think this is where we get a little bit rogue uh, and. I have some, uh, some, we have some reasonings for this. So we're going to go with Danilo Duki. Yeah, but Duki is for me, he's got some poacher finishing that most strikers wish they had. For a center back, the goals he scores, every time you had a corner goal or a goal from a corner kick for Union, it was Duki on the, on the end of it. Or almost every time. The, th- the aerial threat from that man insane and you know just by the way he's one of the main reasons that Union are now playing where they are next season which is in Europe that's insane it is fantastic in the Champions League of all things I really want them to be drawn in the United's group I just want my team to play against Union Berlin you, you want an away day in Berlin at that, at the, at the I mean, stadion, at the, under uh, Eitan first that I, you never going to get a ticket for that, but I just want the, you know, I just want to be there. Uh, I know it's not his main reasoning for being in the team to score goals, but he's had 15 shots this season and scored five. That's, That's a, a goal yeah. every three shots for That's a center half. 33%. You know, aerial jewels, 71 He's won this season. And that's the thing. He had a really good partnership with his fullbacks as well. Yeah. yeah. With Juranovic, with, uh, with Gieselman when he was playing up wide. He can, he's got good pass on him as well. Oh, 100%. I mean, it, it's hard to, to fathom that the guy, he's only 24. It, it's, it's not like... It's just a thing that, you know, he the tackles he won, 58% of his tackles won. Um, you know, he even got an assist, 80% pass rate. Okay, it's not, you know, amazing. But like you said, five goals from 15 shots all season. He's got a shot accuracy of 62%. That's better than most strikers. Exactly. Well, going from one goal-threatening center half to another one who... Probably not as goal-threatening, but he did let off a screamer against Flyburg. And our pick for the second center half is Matthias de Licht. I think a lot of people will raise some eyebrows and say putting in a Bayern defender after the season they've had is just laughable. My reasoning for that is de Licht was the only ray of sunshine coming from that back line this season. And it's his debut season at Bayern. I think, especially after, you know, at the beginning, there were a lot of things coming from the Bayern camp. You know, Nagelsmann was saying, you know, he needs some time to get into the rhythm of things. You know, Juventus didn't have as strenuous of a training session as Bayern did. You know, he had to he had to acclimatize to the, to the level that Bayern were playing at. And... You know, remembering some of the goal line clearances he made, most notably against PSG, for me, more deserved than most. Well, just quickly, because he has had a fantastic season and didn't really happen at Juve after he was so good at Ajax. Yeah. Ajax. It was heartbroken when he went to Juve. I know. You really wanted him. It was heartbroken really... when he went to you. Really fucking wanted him. <laughs> and it really it took me aback when I, I saw that he was nominated for the Rookie of the Season Award. Until I realized, no, wait, hang on. He was born in 1999. That's Which crazy. I think is still too old to be nominated for Rookie of the Year. But, I mean, carrying up Adiani, 2001. 
Yeah, obviously, Jamal Musiala, 2003. But the reason I think they gave him rookie of the season is because it is just his debut season in the Bundesliga. Yeah, not that's, necessarily, what, that's yeah. what I was going to ask. Does it, do they take into account debut seasons? That's the only way I can explain it, because you've got people like Jamal Musiala, who, you know, like I said, born 2003. But you wouldn't consider Musiala a rookie anymore because he already made his first debut appearances for Bayern two seasons ago. Yeah, fair enough. Well, let's round off the defence quickly. And uh, it's a man in his first season at Dortmund after moving from Freiburg, Nico Schlotterbeck, particularly post-World Cup. Yeah, because his World Cup was, you know, for lack of a better word, shambolic. But then again, so was Germany's in general. But I think Schlotterbeck was one of the symbols of the German crushing defeat, um, especially against Japan. You know, he was just... He just had such a such an awful time of it, and you know was partially responsible for the one nil. Um, it's it shows a lot of mental strength to come back from a World Cup like that, where you know it's your first World Cup as well. You've just moved to one of the biggest clubs in the Bundesliga, and now all of a sudden you're facing you know crunch time in the season, and mentally, you know he's arguably almost at rock bottom to pull yourself out of that and then start delivering performances week in week out. He was one of the reasons up until he got injured, why Dortmund were able to make the Bundesliga finale so enticing and so down to the wire. So for me, it's just, it's not just, you know, most improved player because I think up to the World Cup, he definitely showed why he was part of that squad as well. But especially in the second half of the season, coming back from that and then putting on the performances that he did, top-notch defender. Well, there's the defence and goalkeeper. We'll start with the midfield pairing ever so quickly from Dortmund, since we're talking about Nico Schlotterbeck. Uh, one of them picks itself, Jude Bellingham, of course. Bundesliga player of the season, yeah. Bundesliga player of the season, Going to Real Madrid for in excess of 100 million euros. Yeah, don't forget the bonuses are also 30.9 million euros in bonuses. So the whole package could, just in transfer fees, cost Real Madrid 133.9 million if all the bonuses have to be paid. That's insane. And for those that have been with us since the very beginning, that will make James and M very happy, the resident. Birmingham City fans that we had on to talk about Jude Bellingham when he first moved to Borussia Dortmund. That's crazy. I think that's also like, what, two, three seasons ago now? Two, three, uh, three seasons ago now? Jesus. I mean, it speaks for itself, doesn't it? Yeah. He, he is insane for a kid of 19. And I have seen some stuff that... It's like, well, yeah, but look at some of the other English players or look at some of the players that have struggled at Real Madrid. I don't think he'll struggle at Real Madrid. Especially, he took, yeah. He took the leap to move from Birmingham to Dortmund, a foreign country. That's a massive leap, to be fair, as well. You know, Birmingham were championship at the time, and he's not just making the leap to any Bundesliga club. He's making the leap to one of the top Bundesliga clubs. And, you know, that's why I think the leap from Dortmund to Real Madrid isn't as big as the one he made from Birmingham to Dortmund in my opinion. No, and no disrespect to Dortmund, but he's also going to have better players around him. Can you imagine that yeah. midfield? Bellingham, Jeez. Kamavinga, Chouameni, uh, Fede Valverde, Tony Kroos, Luka Modric. That is a midfield set for the next decade. Yeah, because you have, you know, the... I don't want to say ageing, but then again, Tony Kroos, he's, he's just... He's almost... He's knocking, he's knocking on 35... I mean, I say that he is 33, but, you know, he's 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 knocking on the age of when, you know, a midfielder starts to maybe think about retirement. Luka Modric is basically just tacking on it year after year. But at the end of the day, you know, he might take on the European or the Euros next summer in Germany. But I think, you know, he is he's getting on. He's he's up there with his age. You know, it's. It's not surprising, or it wouldn't be surprising if he retired in the next one or two years. 37, man. Come on. 
Ballon d'Or winner. And yeah. I mean, you look at Camavinga. I mean, this isn't a, a Real Madrid show or anything, but Camavinga playing yeah. at left back instead of Ferland Mendy is a better left back than most clubs' left backs. Yeah, I mean, the, the performances he pulled against City were insane. But anyway, Jude Bellingham will be a massive success at Real Madrid. And the other player that we've picked in our midfield from Dortmund is uh, everyone's favourite player. I've yet to find anyone who actively dislikes him. He's my brother's favourite player for whatever reason. <laughs> Julian Brandt. Finally showing what people knew he was capable of. Still hasn't broken the double digits for goals. Finished oh, on... you said it as well. You said it. If He, if he, he finished on nine. Oh, no. <laughs> nine goals and eight assists. But it was just his overall play was better. And it's yeah. because he was playing in a more advanced... He was playing right wing at some points. Yeah. In that weird formation that Edin Terzic plays. We're used to seeing him in a like a central midfield, like an eight role. Yeah, yeah. But he was so much better the more advanced he went, probably because his defensive ability isn't that good. So to put him in positions where he needs to be more defensive-minded, where you have had Bellingham. Exactly. I think for our last pick in the midfield, especially the way he started the season, Jamal Muziala kind of picks himself. A little bit of a spoiler alert. Well, I say spoiler alert. The season finale is a couple weeks old now anyway. But, you know, one of the most, if not the most important goal he scored was the title-winning goal in the 89th minute against Köln. He had a little bit of a dip in form, you know, around the winter going into spring, you know, February, March, as most Bayern players did, um, funnily enough. But at the end of the day, Muziala is going to be that generational talent. You know, him and Florian Wurz, just the fact that Germany can boast two center attacking mids of that caliber at the age that they're already at. You know, 20 years old, man. That's nothing. And you watch him on TV and you think he's good. But you watch him live and it's completely different. There's just a way that he moves through players. It's You could stick him in a group of like five players around him and he'd still dribble through all of them, like zigzagging through. It's just... It's body movement that is almost graceful. I wouldn't say it's Messi-esque because Messi is just, you know, a caliber of himself. But it is, it is something unlike anything I've seen in a while on the pitch, especially for Bayern. You're very lucky yeah. to have a player like that, just as Leverkusen are very lucky to have Florian Wirtz. Yeah, especially after that type of injury to come back and still be that good. Yeah, yeah. He was an honourable mention. A hundred percent. Yeah. If 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 he had had a better first half of the season, obviously it's kind of unfair to say that because he was coming back from injury. But that's just the way it is. Front three. Almost have to say that the front three picks itself. It kind of does, and. Kind of going against my reasoning for picking Rashford in the Premier League team of the season here because we have picked the top three goal scorers with the exception of Vincenzo Grifo. And again, honorable mention, he got 15 goals the same as uh Colomuani, but we had joint top goal scorers this year. Worst top goal scorers, by the way, in the history of the Bundesliga season. No one has won the Toyga Canon or the the uh, goal scorers canon, as it's known in Germany, with fewer goals than Nkunku this season with 16. And Niklas Fulkrug. So two of our front three were the joint top scorers in the Bundesliga. RB Leipzig, Christopher Nkunku, who there is still that air around. He's going to Chelsea, but it's not yet official to Chelsea but he is going to Chelsea. I'm sorry. I just have to say, I don't wish him or wish Chelsea FC upon him because I think Chelsea FC will destroy that man because that club is just a shambles. Well, it has to be said. If you go back and listen to our team of the season or Bundesliga recap episode from the season before Kai Havertz, 
went to Chelsea. You will hear two people wax lyrical about this young German player who is so fucking good. And then at Chelsea, it's so fucking bad. I wouldn't say Chelsea is so he was so unbelievably bad for Chelsea. At the end of the day, he won them a Champions League. And it has to be said. Apparently, on his way to Real Madrid. So, you know, good things come to those who wait. Exactly. So <clears throat> we've got Christopher and Kunku, 16 goals. I mean, he is just ridiculous the last few seasons. Also, by the way, just a little stat here as well. In two of the three finals of the day of people guys played and he has scored. So talk about a person who comes in clutch when his team needs him. Exactly. Back to back. DFB podcast for RB Leipzig could potentially next season become the first team to do a three-peat in no the podcast, which I don't think anyone in Germany wants. No one wants that. Other man. than the good people of Leipzig. Even half of them probably don't want it. <laughs> The purists, though. The purists, exactly. And the other striker that we've gone with before we uh, name the third one, Nicholas Fulkrug from, let's be honest, relative obscurity to top scorer in the league. I mean, if he hadn't had that injury spell for six weeks at the end of the season, he probably would have been, you know, the sole winner of the goal scorer's canon. But, you know as fate would have it but yeah he's he's shown an incredible he's shown incredible growth as a player um you know just just looking at what he's done you know he's now officially into the german national team he went to the world cup scored at the world cup exactly scored at the world cup as well to have that sort of growth at age 29 or 30 that's special so I think, you know, hopefully more to come. Maybe we'll even see him move to another team or a bigger team. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Our final pick, Kodumwani has kind of already been, you know, stealing the headlines because apparently Bayern are going to move in for him to replace Robert Lewandowski finally. Uh, I already said my my piece on this and said that he's not the right striker to be moving or to be uh bought to fill that void because he just isn't that post up number nine that big solid number nine despite all that 15 goals 11 assists in the league one of his best seasons or his best season in his professional career ever and you know, he made it to the final of the Dave People Cup. Sadly, didn't win it. Uh, Frankfurt enjoyed a relatively nice spell in the Champions League, even making it to the round of 16. Kulumwani is a very special player, and he's only 24 years of age. Also scored at the World Cup in that game against Morocco. He's just so good to watch. Incredible movement off the ball as well. Yeah, but that's the thing. You look at... Uh, Nkunku this season didn't get that many assists. I think four assists. Yeah. Uh, Fulcrum got five. 11 assists and 15 goals. It's more of a complete forwards season. I, I know it's not that target, hulking, great number nine that. But he plays in a, in a, he could play in, in a two up top, you know? And he has done. Perfect for that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he has done. So if Bayern wanted to play Chupamoting and Colin Moani up front. Oh, uh, the latest rumours are that apparently Thomas Tuchel wants both Colin Moani and Vlahovic up top. Yeah, but where are you getting this money from? I don't know. I mean, apparently we've got the money to go for Vlahovic and Declan Rice if we wanted to, which is, you know, in excess of 150 million. So. Please fucking stay away from Declan Rice. <laughs> Fucking stay away. From we'll see, we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, that would be our team of the season. Um, just for everyone to get a nice little view of the season. So Riemann in goal, Frimpong, Delich, Doki, and Schlotterbeck in the back line. A midfield trio of Bellingham, Brandt, and Musiala, and then up top a forward trio of Nkunku, Fulkuk, and Kolumbuani. I think that would be a team that would have most people 
shitting the pants. But we coach, did. Coach, might I add? I'm going to say Ash Fisher. I'll agree with that. Manager who took Union to the Champions League for the first time after they've only enjoyed their third, their third spell in the Bundesliga in the club's history. That's insane. So, yeah. Urs Fischer, Fischer as manager. Solid, solid little team that we've put together there. But I think we can now safely move on to the most exciting title race that we've seen in a good few years. Now, where do you want to start? Do you I don't know. Start with Dortmund? I think we have to talk about the fact that Dortmund just just had it was all ready for the taking for Dortmund. You know, Bayern went in there with very little hope. Obviously, you know, towards the media and such, they always had to project this era or this aura of it's not over until the fat lady sings. But for most people, me included, that was it. You know, the fact that Bayern had to rely on help from uh from Dortmund themselves, incidentally. That's just, you know, that. Well, this, this, is, this is the thing. The stage was set. Exactly. It was, it was supposed to be a fairy tale ending for Marco Royce, Jude Bellingham, Eden Tessitz. The real Meister Schala was at Dortmund. The fake one was at uh, FC Kern, where Bayern were playing. Funnily enough, the real Meister Schala was delivered the day before, so on the Friday evening, at exactly 7.09 or 19.09 in military time. Oh, that makes sense. And Borussia Dortmund was founded in 19.09. So just to, just to, just to give you a, a sense of how much the stage was set and arguably how much pressure was hyped up on this Dortmund team, it doesn't get much worse than having the real Maestashada delivered to your stadium the day before at exactly 1909 that i think that is a perfect symbol of the preparations or the stage is set oh dear well it they didn't start great no you know let's be honest and after 15 minutes we're one nil down bayern also went one nil up you know to add insult to injury uh carry him on doubled the lead it was a good goal, to be fair, but it's one of those ones where the fuck was the defence? I know we've just bigged Hummel, up. Uh, we, we bigged up Schlotterbeck. He incidentally didn't have a hand in this particular incident because uh, it was Niklas Zule and Mats Hummels who were just miles away from, from Onizibo. He had five metres of space in any given direction around him. Yeah, he was just... Slap a bang in the middle of the pair of them. No one anywhere near him. I mean, it could have already been over before half time, figuratively speaking, because Bayern seemed to have doubled their lead, but then there was that questionable VAR decision to call for a handball when Leroy Sane got it. I mean, it's one of those handballs. We've said it. You can make the handball rule as much as you want or keep redoing it as much as you want, but... At the end of the day, it's never going to make any sense. And, you know, in my opinion, it's a little bit harsh. But, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, fine, whatever. Take the goal back. Um, they got one back. Talking... Got one back through Rafael Guerrero. Yeah, but that, like... took until, that took until late in the sec- later in the second half. It wasn't – I mean, yeah, it's still minute. getting – 69th minute. Exactly. It's – it, but, I mean, obviously it wasn't, you know, like Dortmund couldn't have produced, you know, two more goals between the 69th and the 90th. But, you know, it took them a while. And it seemed like Dortmund, yeah, they had more control of the game, but it didn't seem like they were finally going to get that punch. Also worth remembering, uh, Sebastian Allaire missed a penalty at one all. I think for me that was the moment where I actually started believing again. I thought, you know, if they're going to miss a penalty after getting a goal back or after going down 1-0, sorry. If, if if you miss a penalty at that point in the penultimate match of the season, and it was it would have been picture perfect because I think, you know, some people are like, yeah, you know, Emre Chan was always taking the penalties. Why didn't he take it? You know, that's BS. Haleo was on a roll. He was the most informed striker Dortmund had. 
why shouldn't he have taken that penalty? It was it's an hard. awful penalty, though. It was so it was, lazy. It was. So lazy. And but, yeah, but but my my point is still, no one no one can tell me Haller should shouldn't have taken that penalty because I think anyone if he had made it, no one would have batted an eye. So at the end of the day, it's one of those ones you can argue about it until yeah. the cows come home. So it's two one, uh, buying a one nil up, but then eighty one minutes. We're sort of just combining the two at the moment, which I, I think is probably the best way to do it because that's how it played out. Yeah. 81 minutes, Dejan Lubacic equalises for FC Kern. And I lost I covered, all belief. <laughs> you lost all belief. I was covering the Dortmund game and li- literally the crowd just erupted. The bench erupted. Players were trying to like, you know, like let's just, you know, calm we still got time to go, you know, if, if buying scores, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It was on tenter hooks. And then I'll let you, just, just what happened in the 89th minute? Oh, I, I I was thinking as well when, I think it was Gnabry who, who got the ball out on the wing. I was thinking, you know, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe something comes of this. And he plays it into Muzella, and Muzella had it around like the 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 corner, the left corner of the of the penalty area. And I was like, if he just gets a shot off, I'd be happy already. Maybe some, maybe the keeper spills it, whatever. But he dribbles it. He he did it, you know, with with that graceful gracefulness always. And the finish, it was just that thing that I think every manager tells their strikers: you don't have to murder the ball every time you shoot. You just have to place it in the bottom corner at speed where the keeper can't get it. That's exactly what Muziala did. 89th minute. I have never, I think the last time that I erupted like that, that sounds so sexual, by the way. Yeah, it sounds, um, it sounds really, no, no. really dodgy. The, the last time that I just completely lost it, I, I just went through the bar yelling. I, I, I actually fully got up and i was watching one of my friends i just fully got up and just sprinted through the bar just cheering i just couldn't believe it because 89th minute i didn't believe before that match especially after we conceded the equalizer i didn't i lost all belief again oh it was just it was it was something you know i think the last time i experienced something like that was probably robin's winner champions league final 2013. I mean, it was against Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It was, it was just the thing, the type of thing that I didn't care about the fact that this whole season had just been an absolute shit show from almost, almost from start to finish. I didn't care that it was most likely the most undeserved title that you could win. I didn't care. It was just such a euphoric feeling to be able to have to just snatch it at the death. And it was great. For me, the problem is at the end of the day, when you know the first blinding emotion kind of fades away and you, and you stop and think about it, it's almost a little bit depressing. Explain. It just goes to show that the Bundesliga is so far behind Bayern that even when Bayern have basically made it virtually impossible for themselves to win the title, they still win it. You know, we said it a couple of years ago when Kovac had that, you know, when when Dortmund were nine points ahead. And every, we both said, you know, if, if Dortmund had a chance, it would have been then. And that was the best chance they had. Obviously now, just this past season, if there was a chance to win it, Dortmund, it was then. It was then. Yeah, if they're never gonna, they're, at this point, it just goes to show that for the whole league, that Bayern's dominance is not going to end, and that for me, even as a Bayern fan, at some point is just it, it's it's disheartening, because obviously now there's going to be a massive restructuring in the club. There already has been. We'll get to that in in another episode later in the off season, but it's not like Bayern are going to just you know lie back and and keep doing as they did. No, that's very true. But what I will say is that Dortmund 
will have a lot of money to reinvest and they reinvest it very well we saw what they, they reinvested their money in they bought in Nicholas Zula, who instantly scored to make it to all. They had chances before that. They hit the post, they hit the bar. It could have been so different. A, a, a matter of inches, we're talking, and it's 3-2. You know, Nicholas Zula wins it in the 96th minute to take it away from his former club. He's been an upgrade. Nicholas Zula has been an upgrade. Karim Adeyemi, his first season, gave him time. Daniel Marlin has grown into it the second half of the season. Obviously, they're going to have to replace the likes of Bellingham, Dahoud, Guerrero. Guerrero, they've already replaced with Rami Benzabaini, to be fair. Rami Benzabaini, uh, Julian Reyeson as well, who can play on the left side. I don't you'd, know. You'd back them to do it. I don't um, know, but the, but the thing is that, you know, when you say all of these players that they've brought in, for me, it's just... as as much as I want to believe that they could try and take it at the end of the day, it just goes to show that when, when it really comes down to it, that question of mentality that we have so often on this podcast discussed with Bulisa Dortmund, it's just not there. You have players who have won the title previously that know how to do it. You have had Mats Hummels, you've had Niklas Süle who know how to win titles. It's if you know at the end of the day, like I don't want to jab my finger in the Dortmund wound too much, but you know at at this point, any time that any Borussia Dortmund player says, you know, yeah, we're gonna go and we're gonna go and uh, go on to do it, everyone's just gonna kind of be like, <laughs> okay, buddy boy, ah, <laughs> oh, cute, exactly, and and it just hurts because it's, at the end of the day, if Bayern don't shoot themselves in the foot they will go on to win the league. Well, I'd, I'd argue Bayern could shoot themselves in both feet, both knees and a, a testicle, and they'd still win the league. I use the analogy during coverage that Borussia Dortmund are ever the bridesmaid and not the bride, and even when they're halfway down the aisle, they still don't get married. I think you can't... The, you can't put that more beautifully than you just did. <laughs> it's just... N nail hook line and sinker this isn't my words but some people have thrown around the title shakespeare of the modern era just ah yeah yeah, yeah. the P the peter jury 2.0 yeah oh yes please the poet of, of football <laughs> the one thing i will say and uh we mentioned rafael guerrero they replaced him with rami benzabaini guerrero looks to be going to bayern and again, it comes up, it's just caused this sort of meme around players going. Um, you know, like, oh, it's just they just do it every, every single season. Uh, blah, 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 blah. But if completed, Guerrero will be only the sixth player to move from Bayern, sorry, to move to Bayern from Dortmund since 1901. And it will also be the second transfer from Dortmund to Bayern for free. No prizes for guessing the other free transfer. Nah. But, you know, yeah, they sell to Bayern, but they get a premium on their players. Mats Hummels, Mario Goetze, for example. You know, they get money for these players. Robert Lewandowski was just an oversight because they expected him to sign another contract, and he didn't. So to say, because, you know, it says, oh, you know, Dortmund plays landing at Munich Airport the second their contracts arrive, it's just a long line of people queuing to get through customers. It's like, okay, fine. Yeah, it's funny when it happens like you know, once, but this isn't, you know, this is similar to the Southampton-Liverpool one when Liverpool bought about seven players from Southampton over like two years. Yeah. But we've talked about the highs, well, for Bayern and the lows for Dortmund. But let's now take a look at the, the relegation battle. And... Before we talk Schalke and Hertha, can we please, because it, it's my favourite ever thing, can we please just talk about Hamburg? Oh, it just, that is just ha Hamburg in a nutshell. And incidentally, Hamburg now, we can also say that uh, they have officially lost the relegation tie to Stuttgart. It wasn't, you know, ever really in doubt to be honest 
three nil in the first leg speaks volumes, you could say, and six one on aggregate aggregate in total. You know, the first the goal in the sixth minute, I think it was for a humble kind of you know, led some fans to believe that maybe the turnaround was possible, but at the end of the day, it is just Stuttgart took the game to Dortmund, for instance, and grabbed a three all late in the game and managed to stun a team like Borussia Dortmund. Hamburg are playing against teams like SV Sandhausen. At the end of the day, it's not really going to be too surprising when the team from the first league wins, especially because it's only happened three times in the last 15 years. Well, this is the thing. So they fans were on the pitch in Sandhausen thinking they'd got promoted. Um, and Heidenheim <laughs> scored in the 93rd and the 99th minute. Nine, get, 90 plus nine, yeah. To, to not only get promoted, but to win uh, Bundesliga Zwei over Darmstadt and send Hertha, not Hertha, to send Hamburg into a relegation playoff, uh, of which they then got absolutely battered. So it it's a similar thing that Dortmund are never going to win the league if they can't win it this season. I think in that situation, Hamburg might never get promoted again because they just seem to have this... Just, I can't explain it. I mean, they are now the team with the third most stints in the second Bundesliga. You would have expected them to come, if not straight back up, up after a couple of seasons. Well, now they've been down for, this will be the sixth season. Well, will we ever see Hamburg again? I don't I'm know. I'm going to say no. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, hot ooh, take, hot take. Ooh. So Hamburg is now forever a Bundesliga, a Zweite Bundesliga club. Well, you know, we know what my predictions are like. So congratulations on winning the league next year, Hamburg. Just before we finish on this little ray of sunshine that is Hamburg, both the first and the second Bundesliga, in the end, were decided on goal difference. I don't mind that. Just, just, the, just let that sink in. Goal difference had to decide the first and the second leagues in Germany that all of a sudden Germany became the most exciting football to watch in terms of leagues all of a sudden all of a sudden well something that wasn't so exciting obviously Hertha Berlin were relegated a week before but Schalke have now had to sadly take their talents back to the second Bundesliga my question to you are Schalke now that yo-yo team, like the Norwich cities of this world? Like, up until, you know, this past season, the Fulham FCs of this world. It sounds really weird because Schalke are a massive club and no disrespect to Norwich, they aren't. But, yeah, you know, they've gone from Champions League nights to, well, Sandhausen away. Actually, not Sandhausen are now also. Did they get relegated as well? <laughs> Fine. Not even, not even against Sandhausen. You know, Fine. just Dynamo Dresden away. But I don't know. Hanover ninety six away. It's just not good at all from anyone at Schalke. The worst bit is that there was also a very. The relegation scrap went down to the wire as well, not just a title race, because for Schalke, if they had managed to scrape a win and it had some help, they could have also stayed up. Yeah, but it's having the help. Like you shouldn't be I know it's it's football and things change, but you shouldn't be relying on other people's results to keep you up. Obviously not, but you know, you Schalke, they obviously didn't have the easiest time of it that, you know, they had Leipzig, who ended up beating them 4-2. But for a spell there, it was looking okay because Schalke managed to equalize. I say Schalke. Orban scored an own goal and equalized. But Schalke, in the 49th minute, was 2-2. So if Schalke had grabbed that win, it might have looked differently. The problem is... Yeah, but... You, you just, because they would have they would have overtaken they would have overtaken Stuttgart with a win because Stuttgart only drew to Hoffenheim. 
Yeah, Bochum, okay, that's that's fine before we talk Bochum quickly. Yeah. But you have to play these teams twice in a season anyway, regardless of when you play them. So they had to play Hertha Berlin twice. They had to play Stuttgart twice. They had to play Augsburg, Bochum, Werder Bremen, Hoffenheim, that were yeah. all around that relegation place. They had to play them twice and look to get points off of them. And they fucking didn't. So it's all, it's all right going, oh, yeah, but we had RB Leipzig on the last day and they battered us. It's like, yeah, but you could have played them six weeks ago and they still would have battered you because you're just not very good. And my other argument is Bochum managed to beat Leverkusen 3-0 and Leverkusen were in the semifinals of the Europa League. That's the thing. You have to beat what's in front. I know you have to beat what's in front of you, but you also have to play everyone else twice. I say they beat Leverkusen 3-0. Leverkusen did have to contend with a red card in the eighth minute for Amin Adli. But at the end of the day, they still beat Leverkusen 3-0. They still managed to get the points needed. And sometimes, yeah, luck is on your side. Sometimes it isn't. But Bochum, at the end of the day, managed to stay up, not just through a relegation playoff spot, but they managed to stay up on 14th place with 35 points. They've got a good team, Bochum. I think they just could do with some better defenders, man. I like Asano. I like uh, Anthony Ajay. Riemann, obviously, you know. Yeah, Manuel Riemann. Garrett Holtman, I'm obsessed with. But he I wasn't playing that much this season. No, I don't know fair. what's going on with Garrett Holtman this season. Oh, well. I mean, put it this way. One goal and one assist. Yeah. I think he had that against Bayern. Uh, when they played them in that 4 2 win last season. <laughs> oh, what a game. See, that's, but do you see what I mean? Like, I know it was last season, but you have to beat you have what's to, in you know, front of you. Yeah. Everyone twice. And yeah, okay, there will be some shock results. No one expected them to beat Bayern 4 2. No. But Schalke haven't got those results. I don't think they've got big game players in them. I really don't. They've not got anyone with any minerals. I mean, you say that, but Axel Kral who now, incidentally, is joining uh, Union Berlin. But he was only on loan. That's the thing. He doesn't care. Yeah. It makes no difference whether Schalke go down. He, he goes back to his parent club and probably gets another move. He was at West Ham last season, or two, uh, the season before this one, and he was shite. And now he's playing Champions League next season instead of Europa League like West Ham will be doing. So, you know, Sebastian Polter... I've seen him not be able to hit a cow's ass with a banjo for, for QPR. Uh, Michael Frey, okay, fine. Marius Butler, they've just got an aging team. You've got 11 goals, Marius uh, Butler, which is actually, you know, that Schalke team's stunning. Simon Toroda got five goals, but they just have nothing to offer. I wouldn't be surprised if they lost the like of Dominic Drexler, probably to a mid-table side. But he's 33. That's the thing. Sidi Sane, 20 years old. I mean, he'd be worth a pop for someone. Do you not think, Sidi Sane? If he can follow in the footsteps of his brother? I mean, possibly. Coincidentally, his older brother, Leroy Sane, was playing for Schalke the last time they were in the Champions League. And to think that that was not that long ago in the season 2014-15, they were at the Bernabeu with or playing against Real Madrid in an insane game that that ended 4-3. So that's how far they've fallen. Well, we did briefly mention that Alex Kraus gone to Union Berlin. They're playing in the Champions League next season. Flip a full 180 to Hertha BSC. Yeah. I'm going to, in parentheses here, with a question mark at the end, too big to go down? Hell no, not too big to go down. They've already got, they Hertha Berlin are one of the teams that have gone down, you know, the most. I just wanted you to say that stuff. There are only two teams who have gone down more than Hertha Berlin, and uh, Nuremberg is one of them. And Nuremberg <laughs> have been in the second Bundesliga for ages. So uh, at the end of the day, too big to go down. Hell no. It's just, we already talked at length about Hertha getting relegated a few weeks ago. You know, if you want to get the exact details, 
by all means, go ahead and tune in to that episode. We'll keep it brief. But had to have just pissed away too much money with stupid decision-making on mediocre players to even deserve to be staying up. And you know, they were finished rock bottom. And they were already relegated a day before or a week before the season ended. At the end of the day, you get what you deserve. Simple as. Some of the players that they've got, Florian Niederlechner, fine, okay. He's, a, he's an okay mid-table striker. Dodi Lukabakio as well, a good middle-of-the-table striker. Uh, Stevan Jovetic, probably too old now. He's gone uh, as well. He's not. Jesik yeah. uh, and Gankum is that one that's rumoured to be going to Union Berlin. Uh, Ajuk. Um, uh, Ajuk is Kevin, gone as well, back to his parent club. Kevin Prince Boateng was playing for him. Uh, Lucas Toussaint was playing. Uh, Jean-Paul Boatius. Toussaint, so they spent so much money on as well. It's unbelievable. Suat uh, Serdar. It's just all these players and there's no team in there no and I, I was reading something that um pal dardai is staying which i think might even do them some good because he's shown i mean funnily enough he's shown that he can be very good for hertha berlin he can be very bad for hertha berlin because he has been fired by berlin before but then again he's also come back in i think this is his third stint now as manager of berlin so um I don't know. Not only that, but um, Max Mittelstadt contra Stuttgart. Maximilian Mittelstadt. Yeah, I mean, he's also one of those guys who's like a... He's definitely a Bundesliga player, but he's not... He's maybe mid-table at best. He's a mid-table fullback at the end of the day. So they've sold him for 800,000 euros. Which is peanuts at the end of the day. Which is nothing. When you're a team that have pissed away millions of pounds and you need to get money back into your club, you don't sell... I know it's eight hundred thousand euros of profit, but surely you could have got more than that. I mean, another example of a club that's poorly run. Do you do you want to hear a crazy number? Guess how much Lucas Toussaint was bought bought for, and from who? Oh, I do know who he was bought from. Oh, okay. Uh, I I can't remember how much it was though. Well, start with who he was bought from. Oh, hang on. I think I can get this. Um, Leon. Correct. But do you know the final transfer fee? I'm slightly scared. I don't. 25 million. Oh, goodness gracious me. Did you not go back on loan to Leon as well? Exactly. Fuck. Just. That's that's the insane bit. I think, you know, we've, we've beaten up Hertha Berlin enough on this podcast. At the end of the day... You get what you deserve. I've said it before. But Billy, the most exciting Bundesliga season you've seen? Yeah, in terms of title race, yeah. And in terms of teams getting Champions League football or European football in general that you wouldn't normally associate with European football. I mean, okay, Bayer Leverkusen dropped down to the Conference League places, but it means that Freiburg are in the Europa League and Union Berlin are in the Champions League. Yeah, okay, the other three you'd expect to be there but come on man and yet Bayern record their 11th title in a row yeah it's just not very uh enjoyable. that's the depressing stat i think i get what you mean now when you say it's just depressing because as bad as Bayern have been and the fact that they have sacked both oliver khan and hassan sunny hamazic which we will do an episode on uh because there's a lot to unpack with that <laughs> Oh, yeah. Even, I don't know, Gladbach had a really weird season. They were really good in some games and atrocious in others. Same with um, Frankfurt, you know, the team that won the Europa League last year. I know they were bad in the league last year as well. Yeah. But, come on. So, you know, next season is, is sounds cliche as fuck, but next season is next season. You know, Union Berlin could struggle with playing midweek weekend midweek weekend they could massively drop off they could buy other players that people don't know about like Geraldo Becker like Jordan Sibatju and 
have a, a good squad and not go far in the Champions League, but manage the yeah, yeah, manage the 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 schedule. Alternatively, you could have a team like Heidenheim who have come up or Darmstadt that have come up and and do really well. I'm excited already. I think on that note, we will end this episode. But as always, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to AT Sports News on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And make sure to check out the previous episodes of Season 4 of the 50 Plus 1 Football Podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and Spotify. But Thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm and love the beautiful game.